Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. A title for our first talk, Being Catholic is Awesome. Say awesome. Awesome. Being Catholic is awesome, but here's the subtitle, and a little bit weird too. Being Catholic is awesome and a little bit weird, too. This is what we're talking about today. A lot of you know my story. A lot of you know that, like, I didn't grow up, like, I didn't go to Catholic school. I didn't grow up being a faithful Catholic. My parents, we weren't going to Mass every Sunday. We were barely going to Mass twice a year. We were called, we were Christer Catholics. Anybody heard of Christer Catholics? Christmas and Easter Catholics, right? So we were going Christmas and Easter, and, uh, some of you know this story, too, that there was one time early in, I don't know, shortly after I made my first communion where my dad got really into, for whatever reason, he got really into going to church. So he made me go to church with him one Sunday. And at my parish at the time, we used to distribute communion from the last row. So the last row got to go up first. So the people who were furthest away from the action, right? Raise your hand if you're in the back row back here. Like Liam back there, back row people, right? So the people who were furthest from the action got to go up to communion first. And then you got to, if you were my dad, I mean, you got to leave church first, right? So communion, poof, out the side door. That's what we did. There was one Sunday where we were there, and uh, Father Costello, who was like 130, and uh, he was up there, he was celebrating Mass, and he had, you come to that moment in Mass where the priest elevates the chalice and the host, and he says, behold the Lamb of God, right? It's one of the most solemn moments of the whole Mass. And I still don't know what came over me. I'm nine years old. I'm in the back of the church. Father Costello, behold the Lamb of God. And I just go, bah, from the back of the church. And my dad just goes, whoosh, slaps me. And I'm on the ground. I'm crying. And he picks me up from the back of my shirt. And we just, like, march out of the church, right? So, and now I'm a priest. Now I'm a priest. So it turned out pretty good. I am a priest, yeah. All right, so I didn't go to Catholic school. Raise your hand if you go to Catholic school. I didn't go to Catholic school, raise your hand if you go to public school. I went to public school, all right? So I went to public school. So if, you're raised, if your hand is raised, if you're a boy, you can still turn out to be a priest. Just saying, just saying, right? I went to public school and I'm a priest. So, uh, hey, over there, hey, uh, uh, over here. So I did not go to Catholic school. I didn't go to PSR after second grade. And um, fast forward to my junior year of high school. That's when we got confirmed when I was in high school as juniors, 11th graders, right? So... A lot of you know this story, too, that it was, it was because I had a huge crush on a girl, she invited me to a youth group event, and uh, that's when I met Jesus. That's how it happened. That's why I'm standing in front of you today, because Kristen invited me to come to this event, this fall retreat planning meeting, this fall retreat planning meeting. They had adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. Jesus was exposed up on the altar, and for whatever reason, like, that was the moment, that was the time that the Lord had planned in my story that's when I was going to meet Jesus. And I did. And it's just changed my life from that point forward, from that point forward. So that's, wh- that's, where, that's where I met Jesus. But the thing was, like, from that point on, I began to be really involved in my faith. I wanted to understand what was going on in this faith of ours because there's so much that we do that's just like, why do we do that? It's so bizarre. I didn't understand it. But as I got involved, as I started asking my questions, that's when, I start- that's when it started coming alive. Right? I discovered that this faith is awesome. 
This faith is awesome. It makes sense. The Old Testament makes sense with the New Testament. Why we have the sacraments, why we do the sacraments, right? It's awesome, but it's also a little bit weird, right? Like we do crazy things like we baptize babies who look terrified, right? We do crazy things like this, right? We give lit flames. We give open flames to kids younger than you in long flowing silk, highly flammable robes. We've done this for 2,000 years, and I'm sure we've lost some kids along the way, but it's been worth it. It's been worth it, right? My very first time serving Mass, some of you know this story, my very first time serving Mass, I'm the cross bearer. I come up the center aisle, and the girl next to me, I forget her name, but she had a head full of hairspray. But girls, you know hairspray, I don't know if you use hairspray, but hairspray is quite flammable. I'm carrying the cross, which means she was carrying the candle. So we get up to the foot of the, the, the sanctuary, we pause, we bow, I bowed, and then she bowed her head into her candle and just, right, lit her head on fire, right? But she didn't know it. There was so much hairspray in her hair, she didn't even know that her head was on fire, right? So the nun, Sister Barbara, who's sitting in the front row, she freaked out. She goes, Whoa! and she comes up with a handkerchief. She just haymakers this girl, just <laughs> slaps this girl down to the ground. And she's, she, all she knew, all she knew was that Sister Barbara came out of nowhere and just cold cocked her, right? She didn't even know that her head was on fire, which is, she figured it out eventually when she, you know, had to go get a wig. But, you know, it was fine. It was fine. So we do crazy things. We baptize babies like this. We, we give lit flames to kids in flowing robes. There is so much about our faith that is wild and weird. There's so many amazing things. There's so many amazing things, but most of us don't know these amazing things. Or maybe we've heard some of the amazing things, and we've maybe thought like, ah, I don't think that's real. What I want to share with you guys this morning for the time that remains, I want to share with you some of, the, what, some of the stuff that I think is some of the most amazing stuff about our faith, like the story of Catholicism, some of the most amazing stuff there. And all of this, I promise you, is true. It's historically verified. Records, photographs, all of it is real. All of it is true. That's what I want to share with you this morning. Because God does crazy things. Maybe not all the time, but enough of the time to like kind of boost our faith up. I want to share with you some of those crazy things to kind of those things that he's done to get our attention to help us believe some of the harder things that we are called to believe as Catholics. Let's start with some of the saints. There's some crazy saints. I don't have time to go through all the crazy ones. We're going to start with this guy. Anybody know who this is? This is St. Dennis. Everyone say, hi, St. Dennis. St. Dennis was a bishop uh, in the region of France around Paris around the 3rd century. He was a very, very powerful preacher. So powerful, so impactful, in fact, that he was converting all these pagans. Right? Pagans are non-Christians, right? So he's converting all these pagans. Pagans didn't like that, especially the pagan priests. So they rounded up St. Dennis, they condemned him to death, and they beheaded him. Now, what typically happens when someone's beheaded? They die. Not St. Dennis. St. Dennis' head, whoosh, Zang Zidane, gets chopped off, okay? He leans down, picks up his head, and starts walking and continues to preach. For six miles, he's picking up, he's holding his own head, preaching to the people. I know this it sounds crazy. There are documented references in the historical record of St. Dennis doing this. For six miles, he's walking, preaching. The whole region was converted because if you saw a guy who was carrying his own head preaching about Jesus Christ, do you think you would believe? Yes. 
About six miles into his journey away from his, his execution site, he finally dies, drops down dead. There's a huge basilica built in that exact location in the honor of St. Dennis. That's nuts. Is that not nuts? That's nuts. It's totally crazy, but it's totally true. Or how about this guy? This is not an actual photograph. Looks like an actual photograph, but it's not. Anybody know who this is? St. Joseph Cupertino. St. Joseph Cupertino. He's the patron saint of pilots and aviation. Anyone want to take a guess why? Teresa? Because he levitated, like a lot. Like so much so that the, uh, the brothers in his community, they used to tie a rope to his ankle and attach it to the pew because he would start, during mass, during prayer, during morning prayer, at the name of Jesus, at the name of Mary, he would be filled with such love of Jesus, such longing for heaven, all of these things, he would just begin to go up and up and up and up. There was such a crazy thing. This is not like centuries ago. We're talking about the 17th century. So like, think we have good records from the 17th century? Yeah, we got a lot of great records from then. So this is St. Joseph Cupertino. There was a time when he was uh, in front of the Pope. Who was the Pope? I had it written down, I thought. I think it was an urban, one of the Popes. Doesn't matter. He was, in, he was in an audience with the Holy Father. So he's in Rome, right? The Holy Father begins to talk about Jesus. He begins to talk about Mary. And Joseph just kind of just rolled his eyes back and starts to float in the presence of the Pope. The Pope writes a whole record of this thing, right? This is crazy. This is crazy, but it's totally true. It's totally true. And there are so many other saints who experience this. Teresa of Avila is one of the ones. Um, I know a priest. I know a priest who, uh, he was Mother Teresa's spiritual director. We all know Mother Teresa, right? This was the priest who used to guide and direct Mother Teresa's prayer life. So this priest, he was Mother Teresa's spiritual director. Padre Pio was, we're going to talk about him in a second, Padre Pio was this guy's spiritual director. He says, I asked him one time, I said, Monsignor, did you, have you ever levitated? And he goes, one time. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, I felt myself starting to rise up off the pew, and I told the Lord, put me down. And he goes, I went down. <laughs> it's amazing. It's totally amazing. But it's totally true. It's totally true. Like, I think these things, like, they're mind-blowing, but they're totally true. Speaking of more totally true things, uh, I just mentioned him a second ago. This guy. Who's this guy? If you know it, shout it out. This is St. Padre Pio. St. Padre Pio. He died in 1968. So, again, very recent. Comparatively speaking, he didn't die like in the 1400s. He died in the 20th century, towards the end of the 20th century, 1968. His feast day was two days ago? I think it was two days ago, yeah. Padre Pio, man, holy cow. There's so much that I could say about this guy. You can even go on YouTube. There's videos of him still celebrating Mass that are on YouTube. So, like, that's how recent he was. So, uh, when he would celebrate Mass, people who were there... They would say that you could hear and experience like the passion occurring. His masses were hours long, like very long. He took his time. There was so much silence and prayer. But in the midst of that silence, in the midst of that prayer, people heard like horses. They heard the sound of the wind. They heard hammer on nail. Like they could hear the passion of Christ occurring when he was celebrating mass. And that's not all. Like, that's not all. He had the gift of uh, reading souls. 
which means this. That, so he would sit in the confessional hours and upon hours upon hours as these lines of thousands of people would come to confess their sins to him, this powerful man, this uh, healer from San Giovanni Rotondo. He would sit there, he would hear these confessions, and people would come to him, and they, if they weren't totally honest, so if they said, like, yeah, I, uh, I, disobey, I disobey my parents, I fight with my siblings, and I'm just not going to mention the other things. Padre Pio could read, like, it's like he could look into their soul and see all the things that they weren't confessing, they weren't naming. And he would basically say, is there anything else? Give him an opportunity. And if they said no, he would like yell at them, he would scream at them, he would kick them out. He'd say, get out of here until you're ready to be honest or serious about this. And the people would eventually come back, be like, yeah, and then there was this one time that I, right? They would be, they would be totally honest. But he had this power, this incredible power from God. It's called a charism, a gift. That's what the word charism means. He had this gift from God to read souls. I mean, I, I've, been to, I've been to confession with someone one time where I, I, I'm pretty positive they had this ability because I'm sitting across from this priest and he asks me a question and I don't speak an answer out loud. I just kind of think of my response inside of my heart, inside my mind. And then he asks a follow-up question that's directly related to the thing that I thought, but I didn't say it out loud. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, what are you looking at, man? Like, like stop doing whatever you're doing. Like, it was so, I felt so, like, spiritually naked. The guy was looking through me. It was crazy. It was totally crazy. But this is a gift that God's given to certain souls, like Padre Pio. He's also done crazy things, like, well, he's also experienced crazy things, like every night, almost every night, Satan would come and manifest himself in bodily form to beat him up. They would be tossed out of his bed. His body would be slammed up against the wall. If you go to San Giovanni Rotondo today, you can go visit his room, and you can see marks on the wall, blood stains on the wall from where his body was thrown up against the wall. And the monks, what they didn't, they, they decided, we're not going to like put some new drywall. We're not going to patch it up. We're going to leave it as a testament to the fact that this happened. There's monks who are still alive today who were very young friars at the time. They, they, they tell the stories that you would hear this like shouting and screaming and the sloshing of furniture. And you would, they said you could hear Padre Pio sh shouting. He would say, bring me my weapon. Bring me my weapon. He was saying that over and over again. Bring me my weapon. Because what had happened was his rosary, for whatever reason, had fallen out of his hand. And he needed his rosary to combat the enemy. Right? We talk about the rosary. The rosary is a weapon, y'all. Who prays the rosary? Who, anybody here pray the rosary? Pray the rosary. If you can't pray a whole rosary, pray a decade of the rosary. If you can't pray a decade of the rosary, pray five Hail Marys. But it's a weapon, right? So Padre Pio was like, bring me my weapon. And as soon as he would get, like, the friars would come in, they would give him his rosary, and it would all die down. It's crazy, but it's true. He had these miraculous healings that would happen with him. There was a girl, this mom brought her daughter to Padre Pio for him to pray over her. Her name was Gemma de Giorgi. Gemma, she was born congenitally blind. So she was blind from birth. She had a birth defect, a genetic defect, which meant that she was born without pupils, right? So that black dot in the center of your eye, that's your pupil. That's where light, like, uh, that's where light gets into your eye. She was born without pupils, right? So no light was ever getting into her eyes. Her mom brings Gemma to Padre Pio for him to pray over her. She, he prays over her. She regains her sight, but she never got pupils. 
Yes, that's my point exactly. Yeah. She regained her sight, but she never had, she does not have pupils, right? There's pictures of her. You can look at her online. She's a very old grandma now. Uh, she was at Padre Pio's canonization in 2003. She's wearing these big sunglasses, but you can see her in interviews. No pupils in her eyes, but she can see. That's nuts. By the way, pause real quick. One of the, jo- one of the challenges that we're going to give you going home today from this is I want you to tell your family at least one of these crazy stories. So as we're going through, we're trying to remember one of these, at least one of these stories to tell your family, right? This could be the good one, right? Gemma to Georgie, no pupils, but she can see. Is this blowing anybody's mind or is this just me? Okay, good, all right. He had another grace, like if that wasn't enough, he had another grace, a charism called bilocation. Bilocation. Bi meaning two, location meaning location. Meaning he could be in two places at the exact same time. Physically in two places at the exact same time. He was a monk of San Giovanni Rotondo, Italy. He never left the monastery. And yet there's thousands of stories of him appearing thousands of miles away to people on other parts of the earth, talking to them, doing ministry for them, hearing their confessions, their stories of him absolving soldiers on the battlefields of World War I. Like they would say, there's just this, this friar walking around in this brown robe hearing confessions on the battlefield. And they show pictures of him. Like, no, that's, that's who it was. They're like, well, he's still in Italy. The craziest story, the craziest story, I think, there was a group of U.S. bomber pilots who were flying over uh, San Giovanni, which is a region of Italy. They were flying over this part of San Giovanni during World War II. And Padre Pio had promised the people of his town, our town will always be spared, right? So they're flying over this region, and they're about to drop bombs. Padre Pio bilocates into the sky in front of the cockpit of these planes, okay? I know. <laughs> these pilots gave sworn testimony before, like, a U.S. congressional hearing. Why did you not drop the bombs? Well, you see, there was this guy uh, who stopped us from doing it. You mean he was in the cockpit? Not exactly. Uh, He was like outside of the cockpit, uh, in front of the window. You mean like Superman came to like stop your plane? Like uh, basically, basically, he had a beard uh, and a brown robe, not a red robe, right? This is it's it's what happened. It's why those bombs did not drop on that region because Padre Pio bilocated himself up into the sky to stop these fighter pilots from dropping bombs. Does that blow anybody's mind? That blows my mind. One of the other things that he experienced, one of the other things he experienced, like a lot of other saints, a handful of other saints, he had the stigmata. Who knows what the stigmata is? The stigmata is the physical wounds of Christ in his own body, the wounds of Christ's passion. So one day after Mass, when he was a young friar, he was praying, and all of a sudden these these lights, these beams of light came down upon his palms, one into his side and two into his feet, and he developed the actual wounds of Christ's passion. And he had these wounds in his body for 50 years, and they bled, and it was painful for 50 years. People thought that he was making it all up. They did an investigation to, just, to look at, like, what's going on here. They found that the blood that was coming out of his wounds was different than the blood that was in his own veins he was bleeding somebody else's blood, y'all. Like, what? 
on Good Friday, on Good Friday, I was going to say gallons, but not gallons, like so much God, blood, quarts of blood, pints of blood, would just pour out of his wounds as he experienced the passion. He said that on Fridays, especially, they were very painful. Why on Fridays? Because of Good Friday, yeah, because that was the day that Jesus died. But on Good Friday, it was unbelievable. Now, don't, like, if that wasn't enough, right, Padre Pio, like a lot of other saints, Padre Pio's body, so he died in 1968, his body has been preserved by a single, singular grace by God. His body's not decomposing. He's one of the incorrupt saints. Who's heard of this? Incorrupt saints. Yeah, Padre Pio, there he is. Died in 1968. There he is now. He wasn't preserved by any preservatives. <laughs> His body is just not decomposing. Here's another saint. Yeah, Connor. Oh, there's a, there's a lot. Yeah. We're going to look at this girl. So this is St. Bernadette. St. Bernadette Subiru. Bernadette was the, the young girl that Mary appeared to. For our, who's sort of Our Lady of Lourdes? Right? Our Lady of Lourdes. Mary appeared to this young girl in France in the 1800s. And uh, this is who it was. So she appeared to St. Bernadette. Well, Bernadette, uh, Bernadette died when she was young. Her sisters, they buried her in a very simple wooden casket basically in an area that was essentially a swamp, okay? Bodies don't do good in swamps. They don't last a long time, right? So her cause for canonization is happening, and they're going to exhume her body for, uh, to investigate, is, is she incorrupt? We don't know. Probably not. She's been buried in a swamp, and it's a lot of years after the fact. Well, they find where her body was, they dig it up, and this is what she looks like. She looks like she's just snoozing. She wasn't decomposed. In fact, when they opened it up, there was this fragrance of roses that hit their noses, right? This incredible smell. They've, they wrap her hands in this rosary, right? Her hands are, have this rosary in them. And they've had, to, they've had to switch out the rosary several times because the chain has rusted over the years. But her body hasn't decomposed. The rust has stained her hands. It's amazing. Kind of freaky, right? Being Catholic is awesome, but also a little bit weird, right? It's a little bit weird. Who's heard of St. Vincent de Paul? St. Vincent de Paul, he's the patron saint of, uh, anybody know? The poor, right? We have an awesome St. Vincent de Paul ministry at our parish here. St. Vincent de Paul takes care of a lot of people in tough situations. Anybody wonder what he ever looked like? I'll show you. Here he is, because he's also incorrupt. You can count his eyelashes. It's nuts. I'm telling you, this, is, this stuff is real. Okay, why would God do this, apart from freaking us out? Someone tell me, why would God do this to certain saints? Why would God do this? Jacob. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great reason, because the saints are incredibly special. God doesn't want their bodies to be decomposed. Yeah. I, I like almost everything of what you just said. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. Yes. Um, and it's the blood that they, they do it to have it on their face so 
Yeah, it's a great sign to tell us, like, hey, this person is super holy. They're definitely a saint. You can ask for their intercession. Kind of what you were saying, though, about, like, our bodies in the end of time. Like, God's doing this because he's trying to tell us that our bodies matter. Our bodies matter. It's not as though, like, when you die, your just body goes to the ground. It just decomposes. And forget about that. The most important part of you is your soul. No, 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 no. Like, we believe, we say in the creed, I believe in the resurrection of the? The resurrection of the? Say it like you mean it. The resurrection of the? The resurrection of the body. Like, at the end of time, when God, when Christ comes back and he restores all things, we get our bodies back. Our bodies and souls are going to be reunited, as Connor said, because to be you is to have a body. Like, I've never existed without a body. (laughs) Jaden has. (laughs) To be human is to have a body. In the end of time, we get our bodies back. So this is the Lord's way of saying, hey, your bodies matter. Your bodies are significant. All right, but back to the story of St. Bernadette. Okay, so Mary's appearing to this little girl in France. All right? Mary tells her, she basically, she's in this garbage dump. It's called La Cachot, right? She's in this garbage dump. And she tells her, I want you to start digging. Start digging in the dirt. So she starts digging. And all of a sudden, this spring of water out of nowhere bubbles up that wasn't there before. And the waters start flowing, and they start flowing, and they start flowing. And Mary said, I want processions for the healing of nations to happen here. I want people to come here to bathe in these waters for their healing. And so people start coming to Lourdes. I took this picture in 2010 when I went there. So none none of this up here, this like castle fortress, that's the basilica, none of that was there. It was just this outcrop of rock. None of these bleachers were here, nothing was here. It was just this cave. And Mary told Bernadette, dig, and she dug, and miraculous water started flowing. This is what this place looked like 100 years ago. What do you notice on the walls here? What do you see? What's being hung up? What are these? Crutches. Why would there be crutches? Dominic, people were healed. Like, like one or two? No. Yeah. And like you can't even see the edges over here. Like they go for... They go for hundreds of feet. There's crutches and wheelchairs and all sorts of things. The people came to this place for healing. They bathed in these waters, which, by the way, are very, very, very cold. Claire, have you done the waters of Lourdes? When did you, when did you go? What time of the year? In May. So I went in 2010 in December. Okay. So the... Uh, that time in France, there was such record cold temperatures that the, it's called the channel that goes, that goes underneath, doesn't matter. It's, a, it's a, a means of public transportation that was shut down because it was so cold, right? It was so cold in France. That's when we happened to be there. There was like five people in Lourdes that day because everyone was like, I don't want to die because it's the tundra out here. But myself, Father Jeff Varnish, Father uh, John Betters, and Father Mike Dank, the four of us went there. And you go in these waters, and it, if, I'm like, oh, this is what the people felt like when they were, like, dying off the Titanic. Like, it's this cold, right? Freezing, freezing waters, absolutely freezing waters. And uh, I went in there with all sorts of prayers for healing, and, I mean, I think some things were healed, but 
it, it's absolutely remarkable. Like, God still heals, I guess is the point. Some of you know this story. I was at a Mexican restaurant years ago with a buddy of mine, and uh, I just noticed our waitress, she had this big knee brace on, and she was limping really bad. And I was talking to my buddy David about it, and uh, as we're in the midst of the conversation, I heard the Lord say to me, I want you to pray over her knee. I'm like, I don't want to pray over her knee. This is where, like, in public, we're at a restaurant. And the Lord said it again, I want you to pray over her knee. And I said to David, I was like, David, I think the Lord wants me to pray over her knee. Isn't that ridiculous? He's like, no, that's awesome. We should do that. I'm like, that's not what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to say, don't do that. We're in public. But he said, no, we should do it. So she comes over. I was like, hey, uh, Michelle, can I ask, like, what's going on with your knee? She's like, oh, I, I'm scheduled to get knee replacement surgery. It's, it's, I've been in so much pain for years. Uh, it's like bone on bone. It's really bad. And she's like, I'm just trying to make a few more bucks before the surgery, before I'm off my feet for uh, a few weeks. It's like, would it be really weird if I like prayed with you, prayed over your knee? She's like, no, that'd be, that'd be great. Like, why don't you sit down? So we sit, she sits down and I put my hands on her knee. And I've not really done this before. So I was just like, all right, in the name of Jesus, knee be healed. Uh, in the name of Jesus, uh, ligaments be healed, and even Jesus, cartilage be healed. And then I just said a few more prayers silently, and I looked up, and uh, I looked at her, and she had, like, tears coming down her eyes. And I said, so what, what's going on? Wait, what, are you, what are you feeling? And she says, nothing. And I said, well, you know, like, sometimes that's how it goes. Like, sometimes God, sometimes God doesn't heal. And she goes, no, 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 you don't understand. She's like, I've been in constant pain for 10 years and I don't feel pain right now. And I'm like, okay, let's keep going. So I was like, uh, veins be healed in the name of Jesus. Skin be healed in the name of Jesus. Uh, hairs on your leg be healed in the name of Jesus. Everything I could think of, I was like, may it all be healed in the name of Jesus. And I look up and I'm like, what are you feeling? She's like, I feel this cold, rushing sensation from my back and my hip, down my leg, into my knee, and down to my toes. I'm like, do you typically feel that? She goes, no, 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 no. You, I don't typically, I just typically feel excruciating pain. And so she gets up and she, she starts like going like this. And she's like, I don't feel anything. And she starts doing like this. I don't, I don't feel anything. And then she goes one of these, she goes, boom, like this. I was like, oh my gosh, right? She was like this Olympic squat. And uh, she's like, I don't feel pain, right? Then she starts running around the patio. She was running around the patio outside. She's walking up to everybody who's out there. She's like, Jesus just healed my knee. Everyone's like, I'm eating chips right now. Please go away. You're scaring me, right? It was amazing. So she goes to her doctor, and uh, she was going for her doctor for a pre-op you know, appointment, pre-surgery appointment. Doctor's like, what did you do? And she's like, well, there was this priest, and he prayed over my knee, and that's it. And, she, and the doctor goes, well, I don't know what to tell you, but you don't need surgery. She's like, oh, my gosh. So I saw her a few weeks after that. She's like, I didn't need the surgery. It was amazing. We should have put her knee brace up on the wall at, at Lourdes, right? Like, yeah, right? It's amazing. Like, God still does these things. God still does these miracles. Big miracles, small miracles, like this miracle, right? So in 1917, Mary also began to appear to another group of kids in Fatima, Fatima, Portugal. I like how they dress. I think that's kind of cool. So if you're looking for a good Halloween costume, you could be one of these guys, right? You've got, you've got Lucia, Dos Santos, Francesco, and Jacinta. 
They were all, these, these two were brother and sister, and they were cousins, right? So uh, Mary begins to appear to these three little kids. This is where we get the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima. Who's heard of Our Lady of Fatima? Amazing apparition, Our Lady of Fatima, 1917. Mary tells these kids these three secrets, these three messages. The first is, well, first she gives them this, like, worldwide, like this, this whirlwind tour of hell. She's like, I want to show you hell. Imagine being like six years old, right, like Jacinta. Mary's like, I'm going to show you hell. Uh, it's kind of scary, right? You think haunted houses are bad? This is really bad. All right. So she shows them hell, then she tells them these three messages. The first is this, that the world, the world would be embroiled in another great war. So right now, 1917, what war is happening in Europe? Dominic. World War I. She says there's going to be another war, and it's going to be worse. And that war is going to be called World War II because they're very creative. World War II follows upon World War I. She says there's going to be another world war. At that time, nobody thought there was going to be another great war, right? The second thing that she said is that Russia would spread her errors over the entire world. And the third is that the Holy Father, the Pope, would suffer and be assassinated. These are the three messages that Mary told these three kids. Nobody was believing these kids. They thought that these kids were, were crazy. So Mary wanted to perform a miracle that would overwhelm them, that would convince the world, the people. No, no, they're telling the truth. I really am talking to them. So one day, 70,000 people came to this field. They gathered in this field. There's 70,000 eyewitnesses. This is an actual photograph of the event 1917, 70,000 people came to this field because Mary told the kids and the kids told the people, Mary is going to perform a great sign to convince you of the truth of what's happening. 70,000 people in this field. The field was completely soaking wet from all this muddy, the, the rainfall. It was so muddy and gross. And then all of a sudden, as they all, you can see, they all looked up and the sun in the sky begins to change shape. It's getting bigger and changing shape, and it begins to move around the sky. 70,000 people are all witnessing this, right? 70,000 people. The sun is expanding. It's moving. It's dancing. Then all of a sudden, it grows so big, it looks like the sun is about to slam into the earth. And all the people, they all scream. They fall to the ground. They close their eyes, and all of a sudden, it's all gone. And they look up, and the sun is back to where it was, the original shape, original size. It's a bright, beautiful day, and the ground beneath them is bone dry. 70,000 people. Look, here's our options. 70,000 people are lying about the same thing, which they have no reason to lie about. 70,000 people are all experiencing, at the exact same time, mass hallucination. Or 70,000 people witnessed a miracle. And they just are telling the story of what they saw. When it comes to, like, which is the more plausible explanation, like, that's the more plausible explanation, that they actually witnessed a miracle. So back to this story that Mary told these kids. Was Mary right? Was there a World War II? Yes. yes. Was it worse than World War I? Yes. Right? Very much yes. Russia, which is the birthplace of communism, communism begins to spread around the world, right? Marxist theory, communism begins to spread around the world. In particular, at the heart of communism is this idea of you have to get rid of masculinity and femininity. We want to get rid of man and woman. We want to get rid of marriage and family. 
Like, when we look around our culture, does that seem to be right? Like, in the sense that has that error entered our world today, that people want to get rid of man, male and female, they want to destroy marriage and family? Yeah. Like, that's everywhere in our culture. So Mary was right there. But this third one, that the Holy Father, the Pope, is going to suffer, and he's going to be assassinated. Well, look at this. On May 13th, 1981, which was the feast day of Our Lady of Fatima, right? Fatima, the feast day of Our Lady of Fatima, May 13th, 1981. John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, he's riding through St. Peter's Square in the Pope-mobile, right? Who's seen the Pope-mobile before? Right? It's like a, like a limousine with a big glass box. He rides in, he's like, hello, people, right? All right, so John Paul II's riding through St. Peter's Square, He's in the back of a car. That day, oh, there's another picture. Look at that. That's so awesome. That day, he was about to announce the establishment of this new office from the, from the Vatican. This office was going to have one job. It was to teach the world about maleness, femaleness, masculinity, femininity, marriage, and family. Right? What did Mary say the errors of Russia would spread throughout the world? About maleness, femaleness, marriage, family. Right? John Paul II was about to unleash this office. He was about to teach the world about how important marriage is, how important family is. That day, Our Lady of Fatima, John Paul II, riding through St. Peter's Square, there's a hired assassin named Mehmet Ali Atka, who was one of the best assassins in Russia. Hired assassins. Better than him. He had a perfect record. This guy is feet away from where the Holy Father is going to drive through St. Peter's Square. It's about 15 feet away. Essentially point-blank range for an assassin of his caliber. Pun intended. He's got the gun. Fires off four gunshots. Boom, 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 boom. In St. Peter's Square. Aim right at the Holy Father. Holy Father goes down. Mehmet Ali Aka sprints out of St. Peter's Square. He sprints. He's running. Okay. There's a nun who sees this guy running. This nun, this little nun, tackles the assassin. Okay? Yeah! Right? This nun tackles the assassin. Okay. The nun's name was Sister Lucia. Right? Right? Okay. So this nun, Sister Lucia, tackles Atka. She's like, I've got him, I got his legs. She's like biting his hands, you know, she's like just destroying him, right? So, Holy Father's down. They start racing him to the hospital, the best hospital in Rome. That day, the number one trauma surgeon in Rome, he wasn't supposed to work. He wasn't on the schedule. He was home. And he tells the story. He says, for whatever reason, that morning, I felt overwhelmed by the sense, you have to go to work today. He's like, I don't know why. I had all these plans I was going to do at home today, but I felt the Lord say, you have to go to work today. She so was like, I got in my car, started driving to work, turned the radio on, and I hear the Holy Father has been shot in St. Peter's Square. He's like, oh, no. He just races to the hospital, right? The Pope loses five quarts of blood. So much blood. Do you know how much blood you have in your body? Like eight, maybe? <laughs> like He's losing so much blood. 15 feet away, four bullets go through his body. They miss every single major organ and artery. John Paul II later said, it was as if one hand fired the gun and another hand fired or guided the bullet. 
Whose feast day was it? Our Lady of Fatima, who told those kids back in 1917, the Holy Father is going to be assassinated. It's like she, it's not that she changed her mind, but she altered the course of history a little bit. This is the exact spot in St. Peter's Square where the gunman, where John Paul II was shot. This exact spot is directly beneath the gaze of the, of the image of Our Lady of Fatima. It's like her eyes were looking at the exact spot where he was shot. So after he recovers, he goes to visit his would-be assassin in jail. This is John Paul II visiting Aliaka. Aliaka had been in prison for months at this point, okay? And he's been asking one question. He's obsessed with one thing. How are you still alive? He's like, I don't miss. I've never missed. I've never failed. You were 15 feet away from me. I fired four bullets. You should be dead. He comes to John Paul II. John Paul II comes to him. He asks him one question. How are you not dead? John Paul II said, one hand fired the gun, another hand guided the bullet. They had an amazing conversation. Anybody know who this is? Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Guadalupe. Okay. I want to talk about Our Lady of Guadalupe, then we're going to talk about the Eucharist, then you're going to get out of here. Okay? So, one day, it's in the 16th century, 1500s, there's this young convert, this recent convert to the faith. His name is Juan Diego. Juan Diego is walking to Mass. Juan Diego, every day, would get up. He would walk several miles to go to Mass. As he's walking to Mass one day, he hears this burst of bird song. Cheep, 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 right? Hears these birds, and he looks and he turns on the top of this hill, Tepeyac Hill. He sees this beautiful woman radiating light, and she tells him, I'm the mother of the Most High, and I'd like a shrine to be built here in my honor. I'm going to send you to the bishop. The bishop's name is Bishop Zumaraga. It's a great name. Bishop Zumaraga. He sends him to Bishop Zumaraga. He says, I'm going to send you to him with a sign. He's like, what is the sign? And all of a sudden, he looks on the ground. He sees blooming out of the ground beautiful Castilian roses, which, number one, don't grow in that region of Mexico, and number two, don't grow that time of year. So these beautiful roses are growing up out of the ground, and Mary helps Juan. He spreads out his cloak. He's got this big, coarse cactus fiber cloak called a tilma. He spreads it out on the ground. She arranges the roses on the cloak, bundles them up, gives it to Juan Diego, who goes to the bishop. He's asking him, I need to see the bishop. And they're like, you don't get to see the bishop. You're just a Juan Diego. He's like, I have to see the bishop. Mary appeared to me. I have to talk to the bishop. So he's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. And the bishop's secretary, all of them are trying to find out what's in the cloak. He won't show them. He comes before the bishop. He says, Bishop, I have a sign to give you from, our, our, from Mary. And he opens up the tilma, and all the roses fall to the ground. This is her helping him with the roses. The roses fall to the ground, and appearing on the tilma, on the cactus fibers, is that image. Right? You can look back there. There's another image of it. Right? Mary appears on the image itself. It appears on the image itself. These, the bishop and his secretary... They, they, like Juan Diego thought the roses were going to be a sign. The roses weren't were the sign. The image on the tilma was the sign. They fall to their knees in awe and wonder at what they're seeing. Now, the tilma, the image itself, it's not a painting. Okay, so many people think this was painted. It's not a painting. Like, they've studied it. They've investigated it. There's no pigment. There's no paint. There's no dye. There's no brush strokes. 
the image itself under a microscope floats above the fibers of the cactus tilma, several microns above the, the image is floating above the fibers. It's not actually on the fabric. That's the first thing that's crazy you have to know. The image is not on the fabric, it's not a painting. The tilma itself, it's made out of cactus fibers. It should have deteriorated hundreds of years ago, but it's still there. Claire saw that last year too. She saw Our Lady of Guadalupe hundreds, hundreds, of years later, hundreds of years later. It has survived bombs, fires. One of the coolest stories was some guy took a, a flower pot, it had a bomb inside of it, and put it on the altar beneath the image, trying to destroy the image. Well, above the, the image at the time was this beautiful golden crucifix. As the bomb went off, the crucifix like bent down and like covered the image. Like Jesus' body, if you will, bent down to shield the image from the impact. That's crazy. You still with me? Yeah. It's crazy, absolutely crazy. I'm going to skip ahead to a few things. They've looked at the eyes of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and you can see these micro images of the bishop and his secretary refracted in her eyes. The eyes of Our Lady of Guadalupe, they work like real human eyes. The image itself is always kept at, let's go back here, the image itself is always at 98.6 degrees. Who else, what, what has a temperature of 98.6 degrees? The human body. The human body. The image is always at 98.6 degrees. Appearing on the cloak are all of these stars. Right, you see constantly, you see the stars? For, for years, they couldn't figure out the arrangement of the stars. It just didn't exactly make sense. And then someone had the idea, what if... What if the stars, so like we're on Earth, we look up at the constellations, we see them arranged this way. The stars are on her tilma, not as if you're looking like this, but as if you're looking like this, from like God's perspective down on Earth. So it's like a mirror image. Crazy, 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 crazy. Let's skip ahead, skip ahead to this image. So in 19, or no, is it 2000? Da, 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 da. On April 24th, 2007, April 24th, 2007, the same day that the Mexican government legalized abortion in Mexico, this happened. The same day that, that abortion was legalized in Mexico, the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, who, by the way, she appears pregnant in the image, this glowing fetus right above her womb was visible for all to see. The day that abortion was legalized, Mary did this. What do you think she was trying to say? Don't do, it. Don't do this. There's life in the womb. It's sacred. It's holy. It's sacred. It's holy. Guys, this is our faith. It's crazy. It's amazing. There's nothing more amazing, though, than the Eucharist. We're going to end with this. I've got to plug this in. Hold on. I gotta plug this in. So over the course of the centuries, oh, that's really terrible. We're just gonna deal with that. Oh, no, that's awful. I can't do that. <laughs> okay. I'm just gonna tell this story because then, then we're gonna end. Over the course of the centuries. Jesus has performed several Eucharistic miracles, right? We believe as Catholics that the Eucharist is not just a sign, but it is what we believe, that Jesus transforms bread and wine into his very flesh and blood, right? 
back in the 15th century, or the, 14th, the 16th century, there was a priest named Peter of Prague who was celebrating Mass in Orvieto, Italy. And he was doubting the real presence of the Eucharist. As he's doing the fraction right, as he breaks the host, blood splatters out on the corporal in front of him. And he looks down, and the bread that he had just been holding had been transformed into flesh. And Peter Prague did what any one of us would have done. He freaks out. He's like, ah! And he runs out of the church. Just so happened that the Pope was in the next town. He tells the Holy Father what happened. The Holy Father says, we're going to investigate this. The feast that we celebrate, Corpus Christi, comes from this miracle. Jesus has done this several times throughout the centuries. One of the most recent times was in Buenos Aires in Argentina. Before he was Pope Francis, he was Cardinal Bergoglio, right? He was the Cardinal Archbishop of Buenos Aires. Well, there was a priest in his diocese who was celebrating Mass. At the end of Mass, some lady came forward and said, Father, I found a host, a, a consecrated host, sitting in the back of the church. So he takes it, the priest takes it, puts it in a cup of water, puts the water in the tabernacle to let it dissolve. Because then he was going to pour it into the ground to dispose of it. That's one of the ways, that's what you can do. So he comes back a few days later. The host is in the tabernacle, but it's not dissolved. It's transformed a little bit. There's an edge that is turned bloody and fleshy. There's a bread part and a bloody part. So he tells the archbishop, he tells Cardinal Bergoglio, he says, this is what's happened. Bergoglio takes the host, takes it to his own personal chapel where he leaves it in the tabernacle for three more years. It sits there, continues, doesn't dissolve. Then he sends it to two laboratories, a laboratory in Los Angeles and a laboratory in New York. He just says, I want you to investigate this. Tell me what it is. He doesn't tell him where it came from. He says, tell me what this is. The two laboratories come back with the exact same results. They said, this is a sample of human heart tissue. A part of the heart that pumps blood out into the body. We can tell that this is a male because we can tell that under the microscope. We can tell that this person was severely beaten before they died because you can see in the fibers themselves all of these white blood cells. It's the, it's the sign of severe chest trauma before death. And they said the craziest thing that we can't explain is that the tissue itself is still beating. Like the fibers under the microscope are still beating. Like we can't explain this. And they said, what is this? And the bishop said, it's a consecrated host from mass. You know, every single one of those doctors and scientists who were involved in that investigation, they all converted to Catholicism. Like we can't explain this. Guys, every single day, every single Sunday, Jesus does that miracle on our altars. Our faith, guys, our faith is awesome. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen? But it's a little bit of weird too, right? It's pretty weird. This faith is awesome, but it's pretty weird. So we're going to end with a prayer, but before the prayer, I'm reminding you that your challenge this week is to tell your family at least one of these stories that you heard today. One of these crazy stories. To tell your family one of these crazy stories at dinner at some point. Tell them one of these stories. You can tell them all 30 of them if you want. The St. Dennis with his head. That's a pretty great story, right? So that's your challenge. You going to do it? Yes? 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 yes. yes. yes.